welcome to Flourishing Education, the podcast that provides you with conversations with experts and like-minded people who would like to see education turn into a flourishing environment for the well-being of all. So, are you ready? Let's start. Hope you enjoy this session. Today, I'm delighted to be speaking with Emily, Emily Quant, is that right? Is that, yes, lovely. So Emily is in the States and we've been sort of speaking uh, on and off uh, you know, on, through, through Messenger, just talking about education generally and I thought I would invite her to talk about her work and what she's been doing. So Emily, you, you run a business called Free to Learn, is that right? Yes, yeah, we've got a learning community um, for unschoolers, uh, which is an agile learning center. And so we meet together um, five days a week and facilitate the kids. The kids completely build their own days, their own educations, their own learning journey. So it's pretty fun. Amazing. So I thought it would be fantastic to speak with you because obviously we are in the middle of uh, sadly, you know, COVID-19 and the impact and, um, you know, the impact in most countries around, you know, schools closing and parents having to homeschool, finding themselves homeschooling their children. Um, that's what happened to me um, when my, my eldest was sent home from school on Tuesday and you know, we just found ourselves all in the house. So um, do you want to share with, with parents maybe uh, some tips, maybe things that we need to think about, you know, advice and anything you want to share? Yeah, you know, I think our journey has been... Uh, so smooth even with having to close down and I've got two boys they're nine and 12 and um, it's going great you know we've had like a really easy um, transition from being in community to being in home because of the way that we do things in the community Um, and there's that foundational level I think that um, is based in trust that we trust that learning is happening naturally and learning is happening all the time. <clears throat> so as their parent, it doesn't weigh on my mind that I need to manipulate their daily activities in order to make sure that they're learning what they need to learn. Um, and I see, you know, on Facebook and all over the place, I see all these parents who are really concerned about like, oh no, now I'm the one who has to, take care of their learning and make sure that all these things happen. And um, it's a real weight, I think, to think that you are responsible for someone else's, um, you know, well-being, aside from putting food on the table for them and keeping them sheltered. (laughs) Um, To think that you're responsible for their mind is very, uh, would be very challenging. Um, And it's just something that we're not experiencing at all because we know like this is this is their life They came into this life and they're living their life and they're already fully capable 
humans and able to make choices and learning all the time. So, um, you know, when we talk about agile learning centers, we always say that the foundation that our community is rooted in is trust. We trust the learning process implicitly. Um, and so when, as we've transitioned to home now, we, I trust that they're learning different things maybe, but always learning um, here. So it's been really easy and simple and wonderful. And they're just doing a lot of the same things that they did before. You know, they're missing the social piece and missing their friends, obviously. Um, but we don't have the clash of me trying to form their dictates and so say yeah. yes you're doing that yeah that's what i've done with with the boys i've just said right well you just got to decide what you want to do so how do you want to you know shape your day um in a way that it's fun and you feel that you're just doing things that you're motivated to go and explore and you know and so my son has like one of them has just taken this piece of paper and just written so my boys are exactly the same age as yours so 12 and 9 um, and Jack our youngest is written sort of Jack's schedule and so Monday and then he's like all his subjects he's going to do on Tuesday Wednesday and when he's doing a break and what chores he had like looking after the guinea pigs and playing with the dog and so, mm -hmm. and um, and it, you know for me like you it just it's a real I have a very core belief that as human beings, we are wired to learn. That's what we, we made, you know, you want, we want to do. And if we encourage our children in the same way that, you know, we do to just explore what makes them tick, then, you know, they will, they, they will go and explore. So like, for example, to the, this morning, Jack said to me, Oh, the water bottle, the milk bottle is empty and it's plastic. And he said, I felt really inspired to just see uh, what type of hot water would, would be required to like make it melt. So, so he opened and put a bit cold water and it was like, no, and then like warm water, more warm water. And then he started sort of like getting a bit softer. And then he said, can you help me pour some boiling water from the kettle to see what happens? I was like, yeah, sure. So we did that together. And he's like, wow. And it's just sort of like really fascinated. And I was like, well, there you go. You're doing a bit of physics and science and, you know, experiment. And it's all like real life. And, and that was his decision because he was curious. And that's, that's fostering that curiosity, right? Yeah. And there's so many studies coming out that they're learning so much faster when they are interested, right? When they poured the last of the milk and then they're like, oh, I wonder how to get this soft, you know? They're just absorbing so much more. Um, and it, it actually takes 400 repetitions to learn something that you're not, that your mind isn't already actively questioning. So a worksheet, for instance. So if you have to do 400 math problems or chemistry problems, um, whereas if you're the one who is interested in investigating it, you only have to do 10 reps in order to for that information to start to stay with you and be a part of your life, right? So how many how many hours can he be in a science class? talking about the properties of plastics and you know heating and melting temperatures and all yada 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 400 hours 
over, you know, only 10 at, if he gets, you know, and, and to end when they're allowed to pursue things on their own, right? He could very viably like spend all day melting plastics today and literally like spend his 10 hours today just melting plastics. And you think like, that's 400 plus hours. <laughs> that's massive amount of learning that just happened. Yeah. Um, you know, and he goes on YouTube and looks up different things about why plastic melts and watches, you know, not a single teacher telling him something to, of how plastics melt, but he's watched, you know, uh, here he is 13 seven minute videos in, he's watched a college professor, he's watched, you know, people who do this for a living, who, you know, it's just amazing. And then possibly he's off into something else, you know, the mm -hmm. melting of the plastics has led to this and YouTube feeds him another video and he's off onto something else. And, um, you know, it's just amazing to see and to really value that those things are important. And that's a, it's an amazing journey to be able to pursue the things that, I don't know why, why are you interested in melting plastic? Yeah, no, that's it, exactly. And, and, and only he knows why, and he might take him into, like, onto his journey and what he wants to do and wants to explore, so definitely I, I get that. Um, there's a part of me that's thinking, I know quite a few people who would be quite resistant to that notion of you allow your children to just do whatever they want because their argument is that if you give them access to YouTube or anything, they'll just spend their time gaming or doing all sorts, but they'll never learn, you know, to read, to write, to, to do the maths, you know, and they'll therefore be left behind. What, what would you say to that? You know, um, kids always pick up the tools of their culture. So, which is why when we're going about with our days, right, our little tiny toddlers are all up in our faces to get our phones every second of every day. And they don't wanna play on the puzzle app that you downloaded for them. They like wanna go in your contacts and delete your groups because they know that is a tool of their culture. They look around every day and they see that people, this is a lifeline for us. Like no one in the world exists without this. We absolutely have to have this skill or we're probably gonna die, right? And it's because they see how useful it is to us. Um, and so to have free reign of the tools of our culture is so vital. Like it's super important for them to be able to navigate those things and, um, you know, we don't know what they're gonna look like. We don't know what computers are gonna do. We don't know what all these handheld devices are. There's, there's no way for us to know. And so it's really important for their fresh little minds to like start working on that, to be able to sit in front of their games all, the day, all day and feel it in their shoulders and be like, oh man, I have a headache. I have my shoulders hurt, like this is terrible, right? So that they personally can make the adjustments that they're gonna need for their life. Like they're gonna be in front of devices their whole lives, potentially. There's gonna be 
possibly a lot fewer people who are, you know, outside working on things like that. And they've got to, they got to work these things out. And it's great that they have an opportunity to work them out and know when they're little and they can take the next day off if they give themselves the neck ache, you know, and then they, they make adjustments as necessary. We've, um, we're in our fourth year at Free to Learn and there has never been a year. We always open with unrestricted uh, screen time so they can do whatever they want with their devices. There's never been a year when the kids have not brought it up onto our agreements board and said, we, this is causing us some strain here. We want to put some limits on ourselves. Uh, and as a community together, they all decide and it takes months. Like it's literally just a ton of time because they hash through like the little details of things. How are we protecting our bodies? How are we, you know, um, making sure that our emotions are safe. This year it was really beautiful to see um, the problem that they had was we do community cleanup at the end and they were in their games, you know, right at, right in the end. And they're like, it's, I'm, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Just a few more minutes. So in order to protect that feeling, they didn't want to feel that feeling of like, I really want to do this, but I can't. So they bumped their, they, they gave themselves a window so that they had, then if it's, if it's carrying over, you have a little bit of flex time that's not impacting the whole community. Right. And if I, as a facilitator, went in and said, hey, you guys aren't coming to clean up, and so you have to turn your devices off, that's a whole different thing than them going through the months-long process that it was to work out, like, no, this is a bad feeling for me. I don't like how I'm interacting with this tool of my culture. And how, how do I make that better for myself? So they got to, you know, go through those processes. And when we take that responsibility and right away from them to make those choices um it really it just I, I feel like it's crippling them in you know something that they have to figure out i personally still don't turn my phone off when i feel my body speak words to me and say no you need to turn this off and i'll be like oh just a little bit longer just a little bit longer so i think it's great for them to be practicing that you know, you're never too young to practice doing great things and respecting your body and respecting the people around you and all of that. And a screen is the same as any other tool mm -hmm. that you kind of have to just figure out and give them time to, to and, do that. And, and so as, a, as when you work as a community or from home, does it mean that you, do you take interest in, into what your children are doing? Do you, or do you just leave them to their own device? And just um, it depends. <clears throat> it depends on, um, you know, if they're, uh, if I, if I'm looking for a connection point, right? Uh, so my nine-year-old is not a big talker. So on interest on topics that I am interested in that I'm going to be like engaging him on, I'm just going to get a few words back and we're not able to really deepen our relationship as um, deeply as I'm interested in taking it. And so me learning about what's going on in the new season of mine uh, of um, Fortnite. Fortnite is extremely like, um, beneficial to our relationship. 
So then we get like the into the deep concepts of like, what are you learning? What are the things you're excited about? What are the things that are happening in your life? Like, what are the skills that you're building? Like, how, how, how are these challenges affecting you? Does that feel frustrating? Like all of these things. Um, so yeah, for me, it's, it just depends on where our relationship is and, um, you know, how much, how much I want to go into those things. Um, and then my older son is, you know, he does art. And so his stuff is out a lot more. Um, and that's just an easy connection point that we can have. Um, but yeah, I think mostly we do our own things. Um, I've got my stuff going on and they've got their stuff going on. And then we kind of intertwine where they need facilitation and on our things that we crisscross, but yeah. Yeah, and that leads me nicely onto another comment that I've seen quite a lot recently. Um, with, um, I personally think that our educational system is all about grades and about results and about teaching to test and all of those things. Um, and we put a lot of emphasis. So one of the things that I've written in both the Flourishing Students and How to Grow a Grown Up is that there seems to be a massive emphasis of, on if you do well academically, it automatically means you're intelligent and you're clever. And, you know, the way we, we educate our ch children, you know, we just, when they do something that we like or we're proud of, you say, oh, you're such a clever girl, clever boy, you know, all those things. Um, and, and yet, you know, so it, in, in effect, you know, academic uh, success equals in intelligence. And, you know, I have, like, like you've described, two boys who are completely, they're chalk and cheese, and I love it. So one is, I think, academically gifted. He's very quick. He's got, like, sort of a, uh, almost a photographic memory. So he's just, he processes things very, very quickly. Um, and then I've got another son who is much slower in processing, in particular, in terms of his language and the written and the spelling and so we we get him extra help and things but yet he's more emotionally so much more you know connected to his emotions his feelings you know whereas tom is much more in his head um and you know as a mother if i didn't know what i know i could you know want to think oh well one is really really bright and clever and the other one not so and so you know if i look at them when they're doing their work, you know, one of them might want to be doing a lot more art and a lot more, you know, and I might might think, well, you know, one is in, you know, intelligent, one isn't, and, you know, one's going to be left behind and one isn't, etc. So what's your take on that? Yeah, so the beautiful thing, which I get to see all the time, and it's so, it's really magical. It's as magical as when we have our little toddlers and your baby goes from being a baby to walking. And all of a sudden you have a walker and you're just like, oh my gosh, this is so, right? It's, it's really, really amazing. And um, left to their own devices, they work on their own projects, whatever that is, in whatever area, right? They might be a, just a gamer or they might be just drawing a hundred percent of the time or they might be just reading whatever but <coughs> everybody 
picks up those tools of our culture. So um, one of them is we are literate society. Like our planet is now literate. So everybody reads. They are exposed to letters and words and sentences 100% of the time. And while it's not on the timeline that um, is scheduled by our government, um, everybody learns how to read. Everybody learns. Like, we don't really know how they learn how to read. They just start reading. And, um, you know, a lot of times it's because they are, well, when they're surrounded by words, right? But it just goes into their head and they just absorb it. And all of a sudden they pop out the other side a reader. Or if they want to learn to read more quickly than they're absorbing it in the in our culture, then they are really antsy for like, hey, you have to facilitate this reading process because I need to, I need to more information. Mm -hmm. So their hunger and thirst for more information requires that they add that skill set to their uh, that skill to their set, right? So they're like, well, I want to watch this tutorial um, on Minecraft, but I need to know what's the coding pieces and what he's talking about, right? Because they're in Minecraft. He's speaking some words, and then he's going to put his coding pieces down in the bottom on, on YouTube. And if they don't recognize code versus words, then they come and they get someone and they're like, hey, you need to make this happen for me right now. And of course, we're like, yes, we are there for you, whatever you need. But I mean, more often than not, really, they don't even need an adult to facilitate that journey. They're sitting next to working on Minecraft, watching the same video, someone who's maybe two years older than them who already has that skill in their set. And so they say, wait, what is that? Very simple, very in flow, very in relationship. And that two-year-older child says he reads the words and then he points out that there's codes there. And so they pick up reading just like that. And it's and then all of a sudden you're driving by a sign and your nine-year-old or ten-year-old or eleven-year-old, whoever it is, who hasn't read before, is reading this huge sign off to you on the street and you're like whoa what's going on like where did this come from how do you know those words how do you even know what those mean he's like what are you talking about of course i know that like how would i not know that mom um and you know for my kids that's what's happened with them and then also for all the kids that are uh learning center and then anyone all of the um self-directed schools uh summerhill in the UK, there's uh, Sudbury in the United States, and they just have years and years and years from the 20s in uh, at Summer Hill and from the 60s in the United States of alumni who were never taught to read, and every single one of those kids comes out literate. That's it. Just happens, um, and they might not learn to read. They legitly might not learn to read until they're thirteen or fourteen years old. Like, which would you know? You're going to be a little anxious about that with your thirteen-year-olds not being able to read. But when it hits, when they need that tool, okay, now I need that tool. They access it, 
And the weird thing that is also a little bit of magic is that when once it hits, no matter how late it hits, they come up, they learn to read in between three and six months, always. They come up to at or above grade level on their vocabulary, on their spelling, on everything. Like they have not learned to read until they're 14 years old and they can write out paragraphs, their writing is all right, everything is in line and they're at what you would expect them to be if they had been doing worksheets and crying over homework all those years. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. Yeah, it's really and, amazing. And, and to me, you know, a lot of the work I do is around how do we, you know, embed well-being in the curriculum. And you know, one of the things that I always say is that uh, what you're describing. So we know that um, central to anything is autonomous motivation. That's the driver, right? And then you have sense of uh, positive relationship, sense of belonging, autonomy, and competence. And all of the things you've described is is what's happening in your community right yeah yeah and it just makes all the learning so wonderful you have to wait for it because it's not you don't get to decide the timeline but when it happens it just unfolds in this magical way that you're like oh my goodness look at what's happening it's just it's so fun it's so fun as a facilitator um and then it's really so beautiful in relationship because we trust them and they know that we trust them, right? So we have this different relationship uh, to start off with. And then when those magical moments happen, we get to experience those together, right? Because we're already in those, those trusting relationships. And so it's, it's just, it's really, really fun and really beautiful and kind of shocking. It is kind of shocking because there's so little formal, um, you know teaching happening um so it's it's really fun so do you find that they ask more questions that the the the, the children the young people in your in your communities tend to be more curious and ask questions because one of the thing i've noticed with you know over the years is that students are asking less and less questions i think they're not asking questions necessarily of me so in the same and the format when we watch their curiosity is extremely alive right but um the questions come in really subtle forms where they're watching a minecraft video and you've got a really high level language question happening i need to know the difference between english words and Java code, right? That's a really big, big question, um, which would be, praises would be sung for that if you ask a question like that in school. But the question comes off from a nine-year-old to an 11-year-old, and it sounds like this, what? Right, because the script is writing down there, and he doesn't know what it means, and so, Yes, they ask a million questions, but I think it's more on us to identify that those high level questions, nobody had to raise their hand, nobody had to formulate it into a high level question, but the high level question was asked, what? Mm -hmm. And it was answered 
in a way like super clear if you ask me that question i'm going to go into like so many different things and explain it way too high um and gonna i'm gonna lose your interest and i'm gonna lose like the yeah. the answer basically you're gonna lose the answer because you've asked the wrong person <laughs> And it's really great because also we know that, you know, as they're going to teenage years anyway, they relate far more to their to their peers than they relate to us that they, you know, right. they see as like oldies or people who just don't understand, you know, you don't get me and all of those things. So yeah, it makes complete sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um tell me, I mean, all of the things you're saying requires a real shift of paradigm and beliefs and approach to life. Um, and again, I can, I, can, um, I can hear some of my friends and some of, our, of the listeners just going, no, 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 it's not for me, I can't do this. So what would you want to say to, to those people? Um. You know, it always comes down for me that children are people too. Like really, if you take your own heart and you look at the way that you learn and the way that you pursue things and the way that you find personal fulfillment and success in your life, it turns out children are people too. Like they're doing exactly the same things as we are. And you know what? I don't like it when somebody comes in and like gives me a command that feels bad to my heart and it breaks relationship with that human because I don't, it just feels bad. I don't want people to do that to me. Um, and then the other thing is there's never been something that I was interested in that I didn't figure out how to learn. You know, and the fact of the matter is, yes, they're interested in things that nine-year-olds are interested in right now because they're nine, right? Like that's what they're doing. And if we allow them to develop and grow and nurture that skill, the skill is you're interested in this, find out everything about it. Do spend all your time on it. Love it. Share it with your friends. Communicating, like oh, all these things. If we let them practice those things now, when they are our age, they're gonna be amazing humans because they've had so much practice. When they see, you know, oh hey, I that's a cool rose. I want that rose in my garden. And they're walking next to someone who's like, oh yeah, let's just clip off three. You know, if we have three on top and three on the bottom, we can take that little baby home and plant it and we'll have another one, right? Like they, and then they go home and they YouTube it. And I mean, information is everywhere. We can find out literally anything we want to know. So all you need to know in order to succeed, in order to pursue the life that you want is just how to access that information. And, you know, we do, um, do a process at, at school too, where we check in in the mornings and we set our intentions of like, hey, I'm, today I wanna propagate roses, whatever. So we set those intentions in the morning and then we do another check-in in the afternoon and we just check in and see how our intentions went. Were you able to do the intention that you wanted to do, right? And did, one, did the intention get, um, you know, 
derailed because nobody else knew about it and you wanted to play a group game of tag and you forgot that you needed to tell everyone, right? Like those little things. So we as facilitators can kind of help along, but also like the checking in of, hey, did I do what I wanted to do? Did I find something else that was more fun? And so that derailed it. And that's great, right? Huge value in that. Congrats, that's wonderful. Or did I hit a block that I need some help with? And then I could just ask for help mm -hmm. or, you know, cause there's tons of help around in all of our worlds. So like those skills, those are, those are high level adult skills. That's what they need to succeed. They don't, you know, when I can teach six grades of math in six months, what, you could have been doing so many other things in those six years. Like really, if you just wait until you get ripped off at your lemonade stand and you come to me and you're like, I thought I was going to make $20 here and I actually only made four. You're going to, then you're asking me for that information and bam, I'm going to lay it down for you and you have got it right there. Like, and your next lemonade stand is going to be a win. Mm -hmm. So those kind of things, like if, if we allow them to go through that process and to practice the process of learning, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Yes, they're nine, they're gonna learn nine-year-old things, but when they're 19 and what they're learning is how to get an apartment, they're gonna know exactly every step that is involved in, I set my intention, I would like to get an apartment in three months, right? And then they know, they're checking in with themselves, they're watching their process. They're, they have all the skills. They've learned how to communicate with other people. They've learned how to make a phone call. They've learned all these things because when they were nine, they called up their grandma and asked for a birthday present that was specific to what they wanted, right? And so now they don't have any problem making those calls because they've practiced it. And they practiced it on things that they were passionate about, passionate enough to push them just over their comfort zone, right? Like, well, it's only grandma. It's not really like, for us, it wouldn't be really that uncomfortable, but for a nine-year-old, that's really big. Like, well, she always just gets me what she gets for my birthday. Like, I don't want to pressure her. It's not, you know, I'm like, no, it's okay. You, you can call her. You're not requiring her to buy you this specific thing, but you can let her know you have a request. It's okay to request things. And so they... You know, they pick up the phone and it's so scary and they do it. But when they're 19, they're beating the street. And so do you see in, in the young people you work with, um, do you see in terms of, because we know, for example, that our, our you know, belief in self and belief in, in others is so important for our well-being and for, for our flourishing. So do you do you think that the young people and, and your children including are, have a real sort of like self-belief a belief that they they, they can do things and, and that they're competent and people yeah you know it's interesting because they they do spend so much time on relationships um so new kids coming into the community it's interesting to watch their transition as they like self-empower and um as they develop those new, they're actually new skills if they're new to the community generally, um, especially if they're coming from a typical school environment. Uh, so having a voice 
being able to say things, being able to have a voice, make a request and know like also people get to deny your request. That's their right as a human. Like you can make the request, but it's not going to come back every time. Right. Um, and so things like that, they, it's, it's really fun to watch their journey build um, as they come in. And usually it's through those relationships, right? So their first requests are always, you know, to their friend who has a doll and isn't willing to share it. And there, and, you know, at the, at the beginning of joining our community, we, we get fielded those a lot, right? They'll come to us and as an authority outside themselves, they don't realize that they have everything inside of themselves to negotiate whatever they need. And so they'll come and get us and be like, oh, she's not sharing her doll. And you know, our first question is always, did, did you tell her how that makes you feel, right? Like, how, where are you guys at in your relationship? Like, does she know? No, always, right? And so we send them back, go tell them, tell them where you're at and then we'll go from there. So then they go and they share that vulnerable piece of them, which is, you know, with a pretty big challenge for a little. Um, and then they start their negotiations of, you know, whatever that is. And so it's always, it always starts in those relationships mm -hmm. of be owning what you want and respecting the fact that you don't get to infringe on other people in order to facilitate your own wants. And, um, yeah, and then that, you know, that confidence spills over into a lot of a lot of other areas because, you know, once they know that they have a voice and that they matter, um, then everything is just in the flow of that. That's, uh, yeah. that's really awesome. So is there anything else you would want to share with us um, about, you know, about yeah, or any advice for parents who are sort of like entering this sort of uncharted <laughs> as a homeschool or you know <laughs> that you'd never plan you know. <laughs> the scary world of homeschooling. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, um I think the best thing what something we didn't talk about at all is one of the things we do in our community is we run everything based on agreements. So if somebody has a problem, um, you know, so-and-so always leaves their dishes in their sink. <coughs> we bring it up as an awareness. And then as a community, whoever's interested in it gets together and we talk about this, this we're aware of this, and we come to an agreement on how we wanna handle that. And those agreements are, we're only going to try those agreements for one small week. So <clears throat> we have this problem. We brainstorm a few ideas. We pick the one that's least painful to everyone, really, right? Like there's not a magical solution that comes up in the first thing when everybody's there. You're just like, eh, I can probably do that without crying. Like everybody's probably okay. So it's the least painful solution of maybe or different ideas. We pick the least painful solution. A lot of times we know as adults, like this is a terrible solution. It's never gonna work, <laughs> right? But we pick it if everybody is like willing to try it. We can try anything for a week, right? Let's just try it. Um, so we try it and then we check in after a week 
and we see how it went. And if it failed, we throw it away and we do a new practice. And if it worked, we keep it. And if it needs a little bit of tweaking, we tweak it and then we continue and we practice that for one week again. And I just think this is a great opportunity to build relationships with all the humans in our house. This has made such a difference even with my husband's in my relationship of just knowing like, we don't have to pick a solution that works forever. We just, we're just gonna try it and see how it feels. And we're gonna change it next week if it's total fail. And so like in all of these things, like come up with your plan because it's like, we feel as parents like, oh, we have to run these children's lives now. Just try it for a week. You know, like, hey, let's try this. Let's see how it feels. And then next week, let's check in. Let's have a little meeting and let's be like, hey, did that feel good? Are there some elements that we want to keep? And are there some elements that we never want to do again? And, you know, just use this. I mean, this is an indefinite number of weeks. So we can try so many things. By the end of this, you might have this magical new routine that your family does. And it turns out, you know, everybody likes to wake up in the morning and play cards because that's going to, you know, everybody's like, okay, yes, we're all together. Now we can go do all the things that we need to do. And you just never know until you try those things. So doing that and then coming to an agreement and really allowing, like, everybody really gets to agree from their heart. Like, if you can't agree to this, let's keep brainstorming and find something that you can really genuinely agree to try for a week. Um, and then once, once we have something that's working for everyone, uh, that's like part of our family agreements that goes into like the culture of our home. Um, it's how we build our culture in our learning community. And it's just, it's really, really great relationship, trust building. Um, and it kind of eases up the strain that I know everybody's feeling right now. Like, oh my gosh, how many, you know, how long is this gonna be? Like, take it. And maybe have two meetings a week, you know, we're just gonna try this for three days. Like, that's all it just has to get us so that it kind of eases up on the pressure of everybody and just be light and it gives you a chance to get back to just having fun and enjoying each other. And um, yeah, that's what we did. It's just like, right, we've got to make this work. So how is that going to work for all of us? And it was just really positive because we all contributed and sort of said, this is what we think. And, you know, we all agreed that we wanted to bring in humor and lightheartedness and, you know, flexibility. And so, yeah, so far, you know, it's been four days and it's been really good and just really lovely. And what I loved about what you're saying, which is another thing that I see a lot in young people when they arrive, particularly at university, is this massive fear of failure that I see in young people, this you know, perfectionism and this, you know, that then breeds fear of failure and, and altogether that comparatitis, so that need to compare themselves to others always in a negative way. So there's always someone who is more than you are, etc. And obviously what you just described is the, you know, complete opposite of that right it's just you fail it's okay to fail and to just admit that it wasn't the right solution and to start again yeah and that's so great i personally had that really intensely like uh whatever because i'm a planner like i love to 
plot out the schemes of everything. And so for me, like the weight of those plots, absolutely having to have an expected outcome at the end um, is, was kind of debilitating almost like you, it kind of like quells what you're naturally good at. Um, and so being able to have failure built into the process, like we have these four ideas. We picked this one. We don't know, but we're very, very ready to just toss that right out and go with a different one next time because we have no idea how it's going to work out. And that failure is built into the process. Of course, we want it to fail because if, if one person isn't feeling happy with it, we would never want to continue on. We don't want to push that in. And why would we want to feel like there's no reason for us to feel bad because that we're throwing this out. This is great. It's good. It's good to throw it out because now we're going to have all of us are going to be excited and happy about this plan. So really just getting comfortable with like failure is a really, really good, important, joyous piece of life. Um, because it's just a feedback loop, right? Like it's just, yeah. just getting all that feedback and just acknowledging it as you acknowledge, like being excited about something, it's the same. Yeah, yeah, totally. I said to my students, this is where you're at, this is where you might want to be, and you know, just bridge the gap, look at what needs to happen next, etc. But you know, that that is not a failure, it's just, yeah, it's just feedback, it's telling you where you are, and right. that's a really good, good attitude to, um, to have. Amazing. That's been such a fantastic conversation. I could talk to you forever. <laughs> um, and yeah, maybe we're, you know, so we, we can always do another podcast uh, if you fancy it. But um, before we, we finish, do you want to, if I always ask my guests, if you had to, um, if you'd like our listeners to remember one or two things or take one or two things from our conversation, what would it be? Um, I think the most important thing is relationship. Like our little tiny humans are potentially like some of the best friends of our life. And to really take a step back and, um, you know, just check yourself. Like, is that worksheet more important than your relationship right now? Um, because there's a lot of things, there's a lot of pressures, there's a lot of fears that people are experiencing right now about like taking on this new responsibility that they haven't been trained for, you know, we haven't done teacher training. Um, and just thinking like, this is really, really about deepening your connection and your relationship with your humans. Like take this time to invest in that. Even if, you know, you know what? If they came down with a, an illness for the next six months and you had to pull them out of school and they missed that time, you wouldn't think a second thought about like, hey, they just missed that and we're gonna figure it out along the way. You, we can figure it out along the way. The most important thing is that you don't take this six, next six months to completely destroy your relationship with your child. Um, <clears throat> 
it's a, it's a nurturing time. Like this should be a time to grow closer and stronger and deeper and play and have fun and enjoy each other. And we'll figure it out. Like everybody will figure it out. The governments are work going to be working to figure it out, right? Like the entire planet is going to be working to figure this out. You're not alone, but what you are is in relationship with that little human and just maintain that in every way. Like this is your time to just, be in with them and have fun and play is the highest form of learning so just do it amazing and that is also true right with older kids it's not just because they're teenagers doesn't mean that they don't want to have that positive relationship with you no um i remember what moved me the most when i interviewed uh students for the second book is this uh young you know she was a sort of teenager about 15 and she said all I wanted the most was for mum to walk in my bedroom. Mm. I could hear her walk past in the evening, but she never came in. And all I wanted was that hug from her. But she felt that um, because I was 15 or 16, I didn't need that hug anymore. Um, and I didn't have the courage to tell her that that's what I wanted to. Um, and, you know, I think, I think that is so important, right? To just, yeah. for young people to feel able to tell you, I need a hug. And, you know, and, and for, for you to know that it's also okay to go in and say, you know, do you want to chat? Do you want a hug? Do you want, you know, <laughs> having that, those relationships? And you know, not imposing it either, because that's probably what they don't want either. But, yeah, it's... Um, Wonderful. Well, um, thank you so much, Emily. I've just loved our every minute of this conversation. And I'm really grateful uh, for your time. Um, make sure you keep well and safe. <laughs> and, uh, and I will uh, see you really soon. All right. Thank you so much for having me, Fabian. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. flourishing.